Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, a couple weeks ago, we fast-forwarded to Christmas. We looked at the virgin birth of Christ, and then a couple days after that, I was driving into my neighborhood, and the first condo on the left, I don't know who lives there, but the first condo on the left as I was driving into my neighborhood had a Christmas tree up. So I don't know if they heard my sermon and decided to go ahead and get started or what, but I've already seen a Christmas tree. So this morning, and you can probably tell this by the music, we are going to fast forward even further. We're going to skip winter altogether. Is that okay with you? And we're going to move all the way to spring, and we are going to talk about Easter this morning. We are going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because this ought not to be just an Easter thing. And it's it's clear that word did not get out that we were talking about Easter today. Because Easter is by far the largest attended Sunday on the church calendar. And clearly that is not the case today because of fall break. The fact is Easter is so well attended perhaps because of the importance we still place on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's just a tradition or perhaps it is some combination of the two. But of all of the things we're going to look at in this series that I've called doctrines that define, those first tier doctrines that we must hold to to be orthodox Christians, this is the one you would certainly expect is going to be on the list. Surely you knew that we were going to be talking about the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is such a pivotal part of the Christian story. So much so that without this, Christianity simply falls apart. A historian who is not a Christian said this, the entire edifice of Christianity stands or falls with the historical reliability and factuality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's right. If the resurrection did not occur, then everything else in Christianity falls apart. That is how important this topic is. Now, I'm not going to spend our time this morning going over the details of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. We do that on a lot of Easter's. I am not going to call before you the 500 plus witnesses so that they can give their testimony of seeing Jesus alive. In short, I'm not going to try to prove to you that the resurrection is a reality or that it occurred or that it is the most likely scenario with all of the information that we have. I've done all of that in Easter's past, but that is not my aim this morning. Instead, even as we did with the virgin birth, I want to talk not about the details of the incident, but I want to talk about the significance of the event. That is, what did it accomplish Now, I realize it is dangerous to assume, but again, I'm going to assume that the vast majority of us believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to ponder the significance of that belief. I'm taking my title today from Peter's sermon, not from, uh, not from Peter's sermon, I should say, on Pentecost. That's that's where we're going to look. So if you've you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a portion of this sermon, but that is not where I'm getting my title this morning. Rather, I'm getting my title from Paul's sermon in Thessalonica as part of his second missionary journey. 
There he said this, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. That it was necessary. So that is my title today, Is It Necessary? Is this so important that Jesus had to rise from the dead? And of course, you already know the answer because we've heard Paul say it. He was reasoning and explaining that it was necessary for Christ to rise from the dead. Now, if you don't particularly like the Apostle Paul, I don't know why you don't, but if you don't, John said very much the same thing. In his gospel, he was writing about the disciples who first came to the tomb and had trouble piecing together with the evidence that they found there, he said this of them, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. So Paul says it is necessary, and John says that he must rise from the dead. And so clearly the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a secondary issue. This is an essential element of our faith. It is important, it is necessary. And therefore, it should not be confined to one Sunday in the spring. So look with me at Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 22. Acts 2 verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of, of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is a great passage of scripture. I, I've actually never used it for an Easter sermon, not quite sure why, but hopefully you recognize this as a portion of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem. Crowds had filled the city to uh, celebrate this annual festival, and the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples just as Jesus had said he would. And as a result, 
They were speaking the word of God. They were telling about Jesus in all of the various languages that were represented there. People had come from all kinds of regions and they were hearing the message of God in their own language, resulting in some charges that some concluded, they were amazed and astonished, but some concluded that these men had simply had too much to drink. And so Peter stands up and explains what they are witnessing. And as a part of the sermon, he makes it clear that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary, number one, because of the fulfillment of Scripture. We have started virtually every sermon in this series with this, which is why we started this series with the authority of Scripture. Has God said? Because we said there that if we did not have a belief in the authority of Scripture, then the rest of this series is going to fall apart because we're going to be taking it from the Word of God. And if we don't believe the word of God, then we're not going to believe what we see and hear here. But here we find that the Bible states the fact of the resurrection, which it clearly does in multiple places, and that the Old Testament prophesies the coming of Jesus and his resurrection, which it does. As you know, Peter is speaking to a largely Jewish audience, so this sermon is filled with quotes from the Old Testament, largely from the book of Psalms. Verses 25 through 28. If you see it in your Bibles, bracket it off a little bit. That tells you it's a quote. And so he's quoting there from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, which obviously is a Psalm of David. And the point for our purposes this morning is that David says the Holy One. And you notice that's capitalized in your text because it does not refer to David. He says the Holy One will not see corruption. And then Peter explains what that, that he knows, that we know, that David did in fact die and David was buried and his tomb was in walking distance of the very spot where Peter was giving this sermon. And as a result, David could not have been referring to himself. Instead, verse 31 makes it very clear that he was speaking prophetically about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, David did not ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of God. This comes from Psalm 110 and verse 1, which is the most often quoted Old Testament scripture in all of the New Testament. It is found some 25 to 30 times, either as a direct quote or a reference in the New Testament. And so if David is not talking about himself, who is he talking about? He is, of course, talking about the Messiah and the promised descendant who would reign on the throne forever. So what these people in Jerusalem were witnessing was not men who had too much to drink so early in the morning. Rather, it was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah. This Jesus whom they crucified was alive again as scripture had said would happen. And so the Old Testament prophesied it. The New Testament records that it did in fact happen precisely as the prophecies had said. And thus the resurrection is, is there to vindicate and prove the very word of God. If we find in scripture, in both testaments, about the resurrection of Jesus and he did not rise from the dead, then scripture simply cannot be trusted and there is no word of God. And so the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is necessary because it is a fulfillment of scripture. Secondly, it is necessary because of the claims of Jesus. This is very similar, but a little bit different. And what I mean here is that Jesus himself claimed that he would rise again, again on multiple occasions. And the same logic applies. If Jesus was wrong about his own resurrection, 
then nothing, nothing else he said can be trusted. Thus calling into question everything about him, but more on that in just a moment. And so on multiple occasions, Jesus very clearly told his closest disciples exactly what was going to happen. He said that he was going to Jerusalem. He would be handed over or delivered over to lawless men and he, they would crucify him and then he would be raised on the third day. And yet in spite of the clarity of that statement and others like it, they simply did not understand until after the events had occurred and then as they looked backwards, they began to piece together all the things that Jesus had said. And so with the benefit of hindsight, they brought all of it together and knew that Jesus had indeed predicted his resurrection and had indeed not only boldly proclaimed it, but he had actually accomplished it. On another occasion, the Jews were asking for a sign. This was shortly after he had cleansed the temple. And so this probably refers to the religious authorities who were in the temple. And basically they were saying, show us something that tells us you have the authority to do what you just did in the temple. They weren't too pleased with what he had done by turning over the tables and saying, this is going to be a house of prayer, not a market. And so they said, what sign do you give? What authority do you have for this? And Jesus' answer was, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up. And they couldn't fathom that because they said, we've been building the temple for 46 years and it is not yet complete. So how can you rebuild it in three days? But you know what they did do? They remembered he said that when he was on the cross. And they mocked him with those words when he was on the cross. We can certainly add to the claims of Jesus that his enemies understood these claims. Which is why they insisted that the tomb be sealed and a guard be posted. They did not want to take the chance that the disciples would come and steal the body and then falsely proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead. My point is simply, uh, once again, that there is no doubt that Jesus claimed that he was going to rise from the dead. And so either he did or he did not. Those are the only two options. He said on the third day he's going to rise again. So either he did or he did not. And if he did not, then we have no confidence to believe anything else he said. And as we said about the scriptures, if Jesus was wrong about, the significant, about this significant event, his own resurrection, then it doesn't matter what else he was right about. So the resurrection is necessary because Jesus said it was going to happen. It was necessary because he claimed that he was going to rise again, and it is a fulfillment of scripture. Thirdly, the resurrection is necessary because of the person of Jesus. This goes back to what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about what theologians call the hypostatic union. I didn't throw that word out at you last week, but I'm throwing it out today. That's just the theological word that talks about Jesus being truly God and truly man. And we talked about that last week. Well, if he did not rise from the dead, then he is not truly God and he is not truly man. Now we can certainly see where he could be truly man. After all, all men live and die. And so Jesus could have lived and died and been a man. But for him to be truly God, there had to be a resurrection. It was essential because God can't be dead in spite of what some people might claim. In fact, it is what some people claimed. They said Jesus could not be God if he died on the cross. After all, the Old Testament said that anybody who died on the cross was cursed of God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But in a sense, he was cursed by God because he bore the wrath for our sins in our place bearing in his body our sins and being separated from God as the cry on the cross certainly testifies to only to rise again and be seated at the place of honor 
And notice in Peter's sermon that all of this took place because it was attested by God. This was the plan all along. This was not plan B. This was not a mid-course correction. This was the divine plan all along. Peter says it this way, by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But again, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus is somehow still in a grave or a cave somewhere, then he is not the person that we made him out to be last week. And yet Peter says very clearly that God has testified to who Jesus is by what he said and by what he did while on this earth. All of those mighty works, all of those wonders and signs, all were done to point to the reality of who Jesus is. But again, if this one miracle, the miracle of the resurrection did not happen, then all of those other signs, all of those other wonders, all of those other miracles don't matter at all. It's all a scam. It is only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that his words and actions have meaning at all. And so I'm going to fast forward to Paul's sermon, this time in Athens. It's also in Acts chapter 17. That's where this Thessalonian sermon is as well. And he says to the folks in Athens, he said, it is time to repent and to face judgment that is coming. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But how does Paul say he knows judgment is coming? Paul says, because he has given us assurance by raising him from the dead. We know judgment is coming because Jesus is alive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us of who he is and what he did and what he will do in the future. And thus the resurrection is necessary to give us assurance about everything else. Assurance about what Jesus said, assurance about who Jesus is, and assurance about the promises that he is going to accomplish in the future. Everything does indeed hinge on Jesus being alive. The fourth thing I want you to see is that the resurrection is necessary because death is conquered. The Bible says that death is an enemy. And an enemy, we fight and we struggle against it. Even though we believe in the promise of heaven and we long for the reunion with our loved ones and we certainly want to see Jesus face to face, we have a strong desire to continue living here, which is why we use medicine and technology to prolong life. It is why we fight to the bitter end because we don't want to die. We instinctively know that death is an enemy to be avoided. And so many of us do our best not to think about death. Many refusing to go visit anybody in a funeral home because they simply can't handle it. R.C. Sproul, who passed away several years ago and was a, a great theologian, said he believed churches ought to have cemeteries because it reminded you on your way in and on your way out of your own mortality. If every time you came to church, and he, he started a church in Florida and that church has a cemetery, if every time you came to church, you saw the graveyard, and every time you left church, it would remind you that indeed you are mortal and you will face the judgment of God. He even went on to state that the early church often met in catacombs. That is the place of the dead. They were surrounded by dead bodies when they met. My first church had a cemetery, and when I was struggling to get my sermon written and needed to think, sometimes on a nice afternoon, I would stroll through the cemetery and look at the headstones. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes death a defeated enemy. Yes, it is still an enemy, but look again at verse 24. Peter says, Jesus has loosed the pangs of death. 
The writer of Hebrews tells us that he destroyed the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's a powerful imagery that Jesus has delivered all of us who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery so that our fear of death can now be replaced by faith in Christ and that faith is a fact because Jesus is alive. And that makes a big difference. Now, I know that that doesn't mean that we want to die today. We're all too familiar with that. It does mean that death is not the end, however. It is merely our transference from one realm to another, from this temporal world to the eternal kingdom. And that is why we can have peace and hope even in the midst of death. Because death is defeated and we are victorious all due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we cannot stand by a graveside with any hope. We cannot stand by a graveside with any words of encouragement or with any promises of the future. If Christ is not alive, then, we, then when we die, that is simply the end as well. There is no hope beyond the grave if Christ is not alive. But because of the resurrection, Jesus is the first fruits. Meaning all those who put their faith and trust in him will follow him, which means we will rise also and be with him forever. That's why Paul in that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, could conclude that chapter by saying, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is a defeated enemy and therefore we are victorious, which is why Jesus could say, because I live, you also will live. You say, well, I know I'm living. No, he wasn't talking about living now. He was talking about the fact that because Jesus conquered the grave and rose again, we will live forever with him. The conquering of death through the resurrection is the only means by which we can have and enjoy eternal life. So all of the things we cling to, all of the things we have hope in, all of the promises we have about eternal life are only possible because Jesus is alive and has conquered death. Now again, I realize that that doesn't mean we want to hasten the process. There's a country song, I have to throw this in occasionally, there's a country song with a line that says, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. I mean, we're in no hurry to get there. We want to live our lives. We want to see our children and grandchildren grow up. But we shouldn't have the fear of death that accompanies those who have no hope, for we do have hope. And that hope is not wishful thinking. It is anchored in the historical fact of the resurrected Christ. There's one last thing I want to show you. And that is that the resurrection is necessary because salvation is accomplished. I can't say it any plainer than Paul did again in 1 Corinthians. He said there, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It is as simple as that. If Christ is not alive, then there is no salvation. That's how necessary this doctrine is. Again, it goes back to what we talked about last week, the God-man. If Christ is not alive, then he is not the God-man. And if he is not the God-man, he cannot atone for our sins. And thus, a grave somewhere in Jerusalem, if we were to find the body of Jesus there, would spell an end to any hope of salvation that we might have and put an end to Christianity altogether. 
I mean, of all the doctrines that we are looking at in this series, surely you can see that this one, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, is essential to everything else. He did not swoon on the cross only to be revived by the coolness of the tomb. He wasn't replaced by someone else who looked just like him. His body wasn't stolen by the disciples and then they lied about his resurrection. He didn't somehow ascend spiritually but die physically. No, he really did die. He really was buried and he really rose again bodily on the third day. And it is only through this resurrection that we can know for certain that our sin debt has been paid and therefore we are accepted by God. That our penalty, uh, the penalty for our sins has been paid in full. It is only through the resurrection that we can know for sure that his righteousness is accepted in our place. Remember we talked about that? The great exchange, he bore our sins so that he could give us his righteousness. And it's only as if he is alive that we can know those twin truths for certain. That the penalty for our sins is paid and his righteousness has satisfied and given, been given to us. Paul says if Christ is not alive, then we are the most pitiful people on earth. Everything we believe would be a lie. Everything in which we hope would be hopeless. All of the promises for our future that we cling to would be voided. Everything we do and give in service to Christ would have no impact. It would all be a colossal lie that has deceived millions, including us. But because Christ is alive, we have hope. Because Christ is alive, we can live and we can trust his promises. And we can know that our sins are forgiven and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that our service in ministry is not in vain. The very last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, therefore, and you know what that word means. On the basis of everything he said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ throughout that whole chapter, he now concludes with this verse, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all of our service, all of our sacrifice, all of our labor is not in vain, but instead it bears fruit because he is alive. In short, everything about life here and eternity is radically altered due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is why the topic ought not to be reserved for one Sunday in the spring when many people come, many who hadn't been there since that same Sunday a year ago in the spring. And they think that's all we ever talk about, I suppose. But we ought to talk about it more because it is so vitally important that everything hinges upon it. It is worthy of being discussed often because its impact is so wide ranging. So to ask, is it necessary, is really a huge understatement. This is a life and death issue. This is a lying in the ground with a decaying body versus living eternally with Christ. If this one miracle did not occur, then Christianity is a false religion and we are found to be deceived and deceivers. But since this miracle did occur, our sins are forgiven, our faith is secure, our future is settled and our salvation is accomplished and our service is fruitful. But all of that is only true of you if you respond appropriately to the bodily resurrection of Christ. 
Again, if we go back to Paul's sermon in Athens, he calls people everywhere to repent. Repentance there means a confession of sin and a turning away from that sin. And this too is on the basis of the resurrection. For if there is no resurrection, there is no judgment. And if there is no judgment, then Paul's Epicurean uh, opponents in Athens are right. The Epicurean philosophers in Athens believe that one ought to maximize pleasure while minimizing pain. They believe that this life is all there is, and therefore you ought to get as much pleasure out of it as you can and avoid all the pain that you can. And if there is no resurrection, they are exactly right. Live your best life now. That's not a new slogan, by the way. Epicureans were teaching that in Athens years and years ago. But if Jesus is alive, it's not accurate. But as Paul concluded his sermon, some mocked at the conclusion of it because they did not believe in the resurrection. But Paul told them there was going to be a day of judgment because Jesus is alive. And as a result, they need to repent and trust in him. Peter said much the same thing in in the sermon that we're looking at in chapter 2. In fact, hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Let's read a couple more verses that we didn't read earlier. Verses 37 and 38. Acts chapter 2, 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's where this began. They were wondering what in the world's going on. And Peter was telling them, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on us. And so they could have the same thing. So we've seen this morning that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed necessary. But equally necessary is your response to the resurrection. Will you mock as some did in Athens when Paul talked about it? Or will you, with those who heard Peter speak, say, what must we do to be saved? And the answer is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But having done that, and again, I'm going to assume that many of us in this room or watching online have done that. And so what is the significance of the resurrection moving forward? It is a great truth that we always must be aware of and always marvel at. When I was in middle school, my father worked for a German company, and so they had an exchange program whereby a student from Germany came to our house one summer and stayed a month, and then the next summer, I went to his house and stayed a month. So I was probably 14 or 15 years old, somewhere in that range. He was four years older than me, which wasn't ideal. But I went over there uh, for a month. And what I remember is that every single weekend, his parents would put us in a car, and they would take us to some cathedral. And there we would marvel at the architecture. We would look at the art. We would look at these great Gothic structures. And you know what? I didn't care the first thing about it. I was 14 years old. There was way more things I wanted to do than look at cathedrals weekend after weekend. Now, I would jump at the chance today. I would go there in a heartbeat and do it all over again. But when I'm 14, I didn't care anything about it. All of these great marvelous things I'm looking at, and it meant nothing to me. You know, my fear is, that there are many Christians who are teenagers, who are middle schoolers when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we've got this marvelous miracle that transforms everything in life and eternity. And we've got other things that are more important. I pray that's not true of us. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross 
but then to rise again the third day. And that is not just an Easter message, that is an everyday message that transforms everything about our life and our eternity. I pray that we would marvel at that. That we would gaze at the beauty and splendor of the miracle of the resurrection and what that means for our life and for our future. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.